We're talking revolution tonight. Jeff Hardy showed up in AEW. AJ's got a neck contusion and all kinds of shenanigans going on on the Double Turn podcast. It's episode number 200 and it's starting right now. everybody the j man coming at you live and direct from Zoomland because that's where we live it is number 200 in the library of the double turn podcast i couldn't have imagined getting anywhere near this number when ross and i started this podcast back in august of 2018 we literally as he's mentioned on so many different occasions did our very first episode in his car on my phone to the point that even a security guard pulled up to our car asking us what the hell we were doing. We're like, we're recording a podcast. And to note that all the way in March of 2022, what we have been able to achieve, what we have been able to enjoy, what we have been able to just do for these last almost four years is remarkable to me. It's remarkable to Ross. And we keep doing it because somehow, some way you guys have enjoyed this banter over the last almost four years and we are just completely and utterly grateful to you all i'm grateful to ross and it is just an absolute pleasure to be here this evening we have so much to get to we have such a cool interview that we will be giving you guys very very soon but also this weekend happened to be a massive aew pay-per-view revolution happened over the weekend and we're going to get into that very soon along as well as some wrestlemania updates going on we've gotten segments confirmed we've had matches confirmed we've had heel turns happen on aew dynamite we're going to get into it all i'm going to go ahead and say hello to my good brother from another mother boss ross who is staring at me live across the screen my brother happy tdt 200 day man how's it going it is a marvelous day as uh, we have a lot to discuss i of course have been distracted by the fact that thank god major league baseball is not still in a lockout thank god i have it back so i'm not stuck with monotony for the rest of my life that also being said There are plenty of things to complain about in WWE, which a lot of you on Twitter are doing. There's a lot of other things on AEW that people are bitching about too, which a lot of you on Twitter are doing. Have you noticed the theme? I hate Twitter. (laughs) That's fair. Otherwise, I'm doing just fine. I'm in a great mood because we have a WrestleMania update. We've got some news bits to cover. And we've got a pay-per-view that apparently some people think, and I'm not joking when I say this, they're saying it's the greatest AEW pay-per-view of all time. What crack are you smoking? Oh, and by the way, I have a lot of bad things to say about some of these matches, and it's going to piss people off because that's my job on this show. Clearly. Fair. We also have a... By the way, throughout my entire yelling, since I've gotten that over with, we have a special guest on the show, Tom the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops. We knew uh, we were going to have him as a guest on one of these shows. We uh, welcome him to this show in which we're talking AEW Revolution. 
I was happy to see him until he decided to have the wrong take on Stone Cold Steve Austin coming back at WrestleMania. I'm calling you out and I'm calling Razor out for having a wrong opinion. Outside of that, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm good. Uh, I'm so stoked baseball's back. How else would I survive without seeing the Orioles lose 110 games this That's year? That's fair. <laughs> Uh, no, it is cool that baseball is back, and it's mostly cool that Stone Cold's coming back. I just have a few reservations about it, uh, but I am excited to talk Revolution. I thought it was a pretty awesome pay-per-view. I would not say it was the best. Not even remotely close to the best, but a lot of solid matches, a lot of solid things to take away from it, and I'm very excited to talk about those takeaways. And I'm glad you guys invited me to this, because AEW rules. I'm so glad that I've calm down from my rant and you finally said something that made sense which is the aew pay-per-view was not the greatest pay-per-view i swear people on twitter have lost their minds lost their minds i don't get it yeah twitter's pretty you know it's it's the recency bias thing that annoys me the most about twitter every marvel movie is the best marvel movie every latest aew pay-per-view is the best aew pay-per-view it it can't just be there's no nuance to conversation on twitter uh, no particularly about fanboyish things so no. i mean like the new batman it's the best batman ever by the way i thought it was fairly mediocre so i don't think it's the best batman ever but... which by the way thank you for saying that because i did let you know i told you i had a feeling i was like the batman looks good but i can't we got to make sure that we don't get too yeah, hyped up yeah. until we watch it that's well, all you you said like dude three hours i'm like no man three hours is gonna be great and then I sat there. I'm like, this is three hours. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like three hours. Unreal. So, uh, like I said, we've got some we've got some news bits to cover. But as we normally do on this show, we're going to give our weekly WrestleMania update as to what is going on uh, in the world of the next WrestleMania, which, of course, is not that far away. It is still a two night event, April 2nd and 3rd. From AT&T Stadium, home of them Cowboys. That's right. By the way, if you've never been to that venue, absolutely go once. I went uh, the last time WrestleMania was there. One of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, Not to brag, I'm simply stating fact, which is I went and I really enjoyed it. If you ever get a chance to go to any event there, do it. At least once, do it. Um, So... We we did already find out that Edge and AJ Styles are going to be wrestling each other. Uh, after Edge's attack on AJ Styles, uh, it is uh, reported that he has a neck contusion. Uh, so they're probably just playing into the storyline that, you know, ne- uh, Edge is coming back, of course, from his very serious neck injury. And now AJ has his own neck injury. I'm sure that will play into the storyline. Shouldn't really change the match. Because obviously Edge is going super heel, and I think everybody's been wanting AJ to go back babyface. So again, it's a nice addition, wrinkle to the story. I'm fine with it. Um, it's not going to impact the match, I don't think. Um, unless, again, it's part of the storyline, but I don't think it will. Um, I think they're just trying to advance the storyline, which is totally fine. Um, uh, was Pat McAfee and Austin Theory announced last week or this week? Last Friday night. Okay. So I think it's news for us. Yeah. Okay. So I'd like to point out that I totally called that this was going to be a match. 
Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory. So I'm going to take full credit for guessing that correctly. Um, and then when did Orton and Riddle win the tag team titles? This past Monday night. Okay. Again, my timelines are all screwed up. That's why I have to remember these things. Uh, so they will have a match at WrestleMania. I don't know who it's going to be against, uh, but they're now the tag team champions. And since the theme of WrestleMania is that everybody has to be on the show, uh, I'm I'm just going to assume we're going to have like a 10 team or not a 10 team, a 10 person melee, because why not? Because are they still doing an Andre the Giant Battle Royal at these things? Uh, they haven't announced it for this year. Um, I don't okay. think that they held the battle Royal last year. I don't think, and obviously it didn't happen at 20. So the last one that happened would have been at 35. Okay. That sounds right. And so I can assure you of this. I kn- do not be surprised if Chad Cable and Otis get their rematch. Okay. And by the way, let me just say this right now. And I know Tom will agree with me and Ross. I'm curious to get your take. That RKO, I've talked about it multiple times this week, and I'm just going to say this right now. For 20 years of watching Randy Orton, I have tried to wonder how exactly I could ever picture a moonsault going into an RKO would look like. By God, did they pull that off to utter perfection on Monday night? It is easily Probably, no, not probably. I know for a fact that it's top three RKOs for me of all time. Um, I don't know where I would put it. I'm not 100% certain. I put it at number one. I've got three. There's so many RKOs that Randy Orton has hit out of nowhere. This one, it shocked me, but it didn't shock me. But at the same time, it was just, just so good. It was so good. And Tom sent it to me on Monday night, and I literally marked out in my at my dining table. I was like, Oh my God, they did it. And it was just pure ecstasy on my behalf. I loved it. It was so good. Shout out to Chad Gable for like having perfect form on that moonsault. And then Randy just being right at the right spot at the right time. It was just, it was perfect. It was literally perfect. I I have no other words. (sighs) So good. Anybody else want to go ahead and mark out? Pretty sweet. I I still think I, I'd give the Evan Bourne uh, shooting star press one the top spot, but there's a degree of difficulty to catching a guy that's jumping away from you neck wise, as opposed to, you know, in towards the RKO. So yeah. Yeah. Kudos to Randy Orton. Who's still filling in a crowd. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Ross thoughts. Uh, it, it's, it was, it was very well done. Uh, you can tell it was practiced, which I'm totally fine with because that's a move that can easily be screwed up. I know it's Randy Orton and he's had a lot of practice doing it, but the timing has to be there and you still have to land it correctly and sell it. It's you can tell that was at least practiced a couple times, which I'm fine with. Mm-hmm. Um, was the women's tag team match also made this week or was that also earlier? Oh, no, that was made this week, wasn't okay. it? So, yeah. So, Zelina and Carmella are going to be defending against Liv and, Liv and Rhea and Sasha and Naomi. Somebody, Sasha and Naomi. Thank you. So, yeah. right, now, right now, it's a triple threat. Okay. Uh, and also, as of right now, night one is Charlotte Ronda, Becky Bianca, the Mysterios versus Miz and Logan Paul, 
and Drew McIntyre versus Happy Corbin, which I may be one of the only five people that are excited about it, and I don't care. Uh, and then night two is uh, the match we just discussed. Johnny Knoxville, Sami Zayn, Pat McAfee, Austin Theory, Edge, AJ Styles, and of course, Roman versus Brock. And they have not decided on the tag match because they don't know the opponents. That's so. correct. And also, Ricochet, brand new Intercontinental Champion. That just yes. happened Saturday, on Friday night. That's uh, Thank I forgot you. About that. Yeah. Ricochet with a belt. I have my reservations because of what belt it is. However, I will be confidently optimistic to say maybe something good comes out of this. That's really all the praise you're going to get from me out of that. I'm just happy for Ricochet because he was great as North American champion back when uh, he was in NXT. Um, He had a great reign. And so also may we never see the singles feud of Amos and Commander Aziz. Uh, Amen. Yes. Can we can we never see that? That would unless, be unless unless Veer comes to Raw and all of a sudden they make it a three way. Oh yes, Veer, the guy that's supposed to have come to Raw for the last like six years. Great. Yeah. Veer Veer yeah. got lost on the way to Raw. He's, he's yeah, never gonna make it. You no, know, he's not. He's somewhere. He, I don't know. He's somewhere on the Atlantic Ocean, I think, he, right now. So, he got murdered in Raw Underground. So they haven't <laughs> haven't found a body yet. So legitimately, Amos and Commander Aziz would be if a glacier fought continental drift yeah you know what and by the and way I, and i don't mean glacier from wcw i mean an actual glacier although i bet you let me guess was glacier am i gonna watch glacier in wcw 2000 ross yes oh, of course will. i am <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah he's there really oh, milking great. what was left of the mortal combat yeah. high Oh that's yeah. Hilarious. Oh yeah, that's right. Because New Line was uh zoned by Warner Brothers. I was gonna say that you said that Veer got lost on the way to Raw. I think Veer may have been on the Felicity May that was coming on the Atlantic that burned in the middle. He may have been on that ship. So he might be thankfully he got rescued, but I'm not sure he's gonna be over here on US soil anytime soon. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah. That boat that boat sunk, by the way. I don't know if you guys knew that. Not not that this is a a, a boat podcast, but uh that was carrying a lot of cars. <laughs> Let me lot. tell you something right now. If if somehow Jorge decides to make a third podcast involving boating, I quit. Okay? Seriously. Nobody needs to hear that. Or uh, or, or anything nautical-based. That's um, fair. By the way, can we just give a quick shout-out to... Um, you mentioned Tormenting Tarmac, but I don't want to talk about that right now. I definitely want to go ahead and make sure that we give a shout-out to, of course, Hops and Box Office Flops, because T-Dubs is the master and commander of that ship, along with Captain Cash and Chumpzilla, and on occasion, Mayor McCheese. So please send our regards and hellos to the fellas, and just go ahead and give a quick rep before I before we forget. I want to make sure that we got that out there for you, T-Dubs. Yeah, thank you. Season four premiered in uh, January. We are now on to Hops and Pandemic Flops, and we're dropping The Happening, which is one of M. Night Shyamalan's worst movies. I know that's a crowded field, but this one is truly spectacularly bad. Uh, Next up, we're doing the new Resident Evil that came out last October. Not good. Uh, But before that, we did B-List Action Star Flops, which was one of my favorite months because you know, it had like a Howie Long movie and a Brian Bosworth movie and a and double team with the Dennis Rodman, Rodzilla, which then inspired me to go back and watch some of his sterling wrestling content as part of the NWO. You know, Rodman gets a bad rap, but 
the match that he and Hogan did with DDP and Malone, I believe was not terrible. I believe it was the Leno match that was especially terrible. Leno match was not not strong. I remember that. <laughs> no, and I also and I also remember one of those matches he partied way too hard the night before. Shocking, I know, Rodman. Um, but anyway, yes. Uh look, if you can get stars on your show and eyeballs to your product, I'm I'm fine with that. Um, so just to just to circle back, um, that was our WrestleMania update. Um as we progress towards WrestleMania, which is now three weeks away, I think it's three weeks from Saturday. That's where right. it is. Okay. Three weeks from Saturday. Of course, we will give you the update and uh, yeah, I've been told both nights are going to be four hours. Great. Yeah. Can we just have it be three? Can it just be a long movie? No, it has to be four. Look, I'm just glad it's not one eight hour event. It's true. What am I at a festival? Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And not a one that I can festival. no, And not one that I can like roam around, get food. You know, well, I mean, I guess I can if I'm watching it at home, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. So, um, Hey, Dolph Ziggler's the new NXT champion. Do we like, like this? Do we hate it? Um, uh, so- I, I think there's very mixed opinions on this. I want to get you guys' thoughts on it. Um, I'll start off and I'll go ahead and hand that over to T-Dubs. Um, I love Dolph Ziggler. Well, actually, to be fair, I think everybody on this panel loves Dolph Ziggler. Um, he's an incredible performer. Um, he, you know, Ross has called him the standard bear, like uh, not the standard bear, but uh, the gatekeeper in a way. Not to steal your thunder there, Ross, but you have used that phrase in the past when we've described him. But there's a reason for that because the man is just absolutely fantastic at what he does and he knows how to get the job done. He knows how to get people over. He's one of the best sellers in the history of professional wrestling. He's a great storyteller. This is interesting. But the only thing that I can see that the reason that they made this call, Ross, and T-Dubs, is Vince must have really liked Braun Breaker on Raw. Because Braun Breaker was on Raw this past week with Tommaso Ciampa, who they've been teaming even though they were in a triple threat match at NXT Roadblock, was the name of the NXT show that just took place on Tuesday night. Um yeah, I know Roadblocks back again. Here we go. Just making our lives terrific. But uh, that all being said, the only thing that I can imagine is just that Vince was enamored with Braun Breaker. He's like, he's coming up to Raw immediately. And that's the only reason why he would have dropped the title. And they were like, well, who are we going to give it to? We can't give it back to Tommaso Ciampa because, you know, it wouldn't make sense. It would, it, you know, it gives Ziggy Pop and Rude something to do down in NXT and be taken seriously and actually. I mean, honestly, maybe even help the product. Yeah. So Dolph Ziggler, NXT champion, beating Braun Breaker, Tom the Thunderous Wizard, hops and box office flops. Thoughts on the matter? Well, I, uh, you know, Vince must love Braun Breaker, but I also heard he fit into uh, what's his name's old uh, shredder helmet. So as soon, oh. as, that, as soon as that happened, he was like, oh, you're Stan. We can't lose money on this suit that we made. Uh, you know, Ziggler had nothing to do, so I, I'm all for it. Let him have some good matches down there. Give him something to do. If he's just going to be wasted, then Ziggler's the man. And he's 
you know, he's only got a few good, good to great years left. So utilize him. Look, I've said this before. And that is, I think, I think WWE has missed a golden opportunity to do this more often. I mean, there were times where, you know, some guys were actively like, Hey, let me go down to NXT for three months or six months. And let me kind of maybe reinvigorate me as a character, but also help out some of these other guys that are going to wrestle me or gals or whoever. And they've done that a few times. Like, you know, Charlotte went down to NXT. I know Charlotte, the boogie woman at this point, but I'm saying like they still did that. Uh, I think Sasha and Bailey went down and wrestled uh, with their tag team titles very briefly. Um, I know Cesaro talked endlessly about going back down for a few months to do it. Um, the list could go on and on. I know there are guys that got sent up and immediately wanted to go back down and never wanted to come back up. I'm not here for that narrative. What I'm saying is if you're not doing anything with somebody on the main roster, why not try something? And so I'm happy for Dolph Ziggler because he's kind of been in this spot for a while where he's very well respected. He's well liked. Uh, the fans accept him for what he is, even though they may not agree with where he is on the card. And it's, it's, and look, I get it. Not everybody can be pushed at the same time. It's at some levels criminal what they've done to some of these talents. And look, at the same time, Dolph could have left a while ago and he chose to stay. So for all of that being said, I'm very happy that they're trying something because I'll tell you this NXT 2.0, they did something very bold and they said, well, we're going to get a bunch of guys and a bunch of gals that not a lot of people know. And we're just going to make this back to being kind of a developmental because for a while it was a developmental. Then it became a third brand. And now they're going backwards, regardless of, you know, if they did it because they couldn't win a ratings war against AEW or because the formula just wasn't working for what they needed, at least they're trying something. So as to now, whoever beats Dolph for the title, that's a big deal. So that's why I'm okay with it. And that's why inevitably I will say, no matter what happens out of this, something positive will come back from it. So uh, Jorge, are you back with us? I am buddy. Yeah. Okay. And so I apologize. It got cut off there. My computer just took a that's random dump on me that's that's totally okay that's sometimes that happens so uh go ahead and finish your thoughts about Dolph Ziggler sure no actually I completely agree with the both of you you guys both took everything that I was saying and mixed it all into one so I'm a hundred percent okay with it and again most importantly I apologize for the room for the noise in the background um Braun Breaker, I think, is going to go ahead and be a major, major deal on Raw over or or SmackDown, wherever he ends up being. But he's definitely going to get called up. And obviously, people see something with him, as they should. I mean, the, the kid can go. This kid is special. Um, and then more importantly, I think Dolph Ziggler will really help out down in NXT. It'll be really interesting. You mentioned whoever beats Ziggler will be a big deal. I'm curious to who you guys think might be gr being groomed to take that position. I've got a couple names in mind. I think Carmelo Hayes is absolutely one of those dudes that they're looking at definitely putting up at the top of NXT. I think um, 
Oh my gosh, I'm I'm forgetting his name right now. Grayson uh, Grayson, Grayson Waller. Waller. Yeah, the guy that that quote unquote kicked Gargano out of NXT. That guy's got a huge future ahead of him. So I look at those particular guys as people that NXT might say these are the two that we're going to build around the men's division. Uh, now that Braun Breaker might be getting moved up, and those would be the guys that maybe you'll see in the next few months start feuding with Ziggler over the NXT Championship. I kind of look forward to that. There you go. Uh, so, uh, let me see here. Was there anything else newsworthy that we can't cover after we do revolution briefly? Nope. Uh, all the dynamite stuff we're going to go ahead and cover on revolution, right? Cause you okay. know, with, with everybody showing up and whatnot. just, just wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything else news related that is not related to before in or directly after the pay-per-view. Yes. I'll take we that as good. a yes. Okay. Yeah. We want to make sure. All right. It is uh, what I will call the uh, main event time of this show, which is that we are covering AEW Revolution, the 2022 edition. What a show it was. It was a very hyped show. It, of course, took place last weekend in Orlando, Florida at the Edition Financial Arena, which is the home of uh, the University of Central Florida. That is the uh, building they use. So uh, that's that's where it took place. Um, again, lots of hype going into this pay-per-view as uh, some of the matches that were, of course, um, promoted uh, were very big deals for this company on a lot of different levels. Uh, we'll get into the things that happened, of course, on this show, the positives, the negatives, and everything in between. There were... 12 matches on this card. We're not going to go through all of them because there are certain things we want to talk about a lot more. Just know that there were not one, not two, but three pre-show matches. Yes, three. Um, and one of them was actually given time, which I'm actually impressed by. But um, that being said, the show opener was Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho. Now, um, the promo work between these two gentlemen has actually been pretty good. Um, I have not been the biggest Eddie Kingston fan. I've actually been pretty public about that. Um, I don't know if it's the presentation. I don't know if it's some of the work I've seen him do. I'm just being fair and honest as I try to be on this show as much of the time or all of the time that I can be just not the biggest fan of his work. That being said, if there's anybody that's going to change my mind about a certain competitor, it's Chris Jericho. And I know Chris Jericho has kind of this love hate relationship with wrestling fans. Like one minute, he's one of the greatest things since sliced bread. And the next minute, he's on every segment or promo and people are sick of him and they need a break from him. Some people love him on commentary. Some people need less of him. Um, there was the whole thing about them razzing him about him being out of shape and then him miraculously getting back in shape very quickly, which, you know, that's awesome. But if there's going to be anybody that's going to change my mind and actually tell like a good story or make me actually believe in somebody else as a character that I previously wouldn't have, 
It's Chris Jericho. And the other, the other bad habit Chris Jericho got for a while is he was putting everybody over. I know. Oh, you shouldn't have put over Fondango at WrestleMania. Maybe you're right. Um, but the absolute right call was made here. If you are believing in Eddie Kingston being, you know, growing the character, growing what he is and becoming a bigger star in your company, he has to get marquee wins. Um, the fact that he won via submission, I think is also very much important. Um, I actually did not hate any part of this match. I know there was a part where Jericho might've gotten dropped on his head. That was a little scary. Other than that, loved the timing, loved the pacing. Um, it, it didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, it was only on for 13 minutes. It was a little odd of a choice to open the pay-per-view, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I was happy that that decision was made because to me, it set the tone for the rest of the show. Maybe I'm on an Island giving the analysis I just gave. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to uh, Jorge first of uh, his thoughts on Eddie Kingston uh, versus Chris Jericho, Eddie winning the match and just uh, the match overall. Sure, man. Uh, so I watched uh, highlights on this match. I didn't get a chance to watch it live. Um, actually, Tom and I were watching the peep, uh, the pay-per-view together, uh, but I was working late. And so I was able to go ahead and catch this, basically the four, last four matches live. But um, from what I can tell you is I thought that this was one of the best told stories on the entire pay-per-view and also on the lead up to the pay-per-view. That's not to say that other stories weren't told better. I think we all can agree that MJF and Punk probably had the best story going into the pay-per-view but for the amount of time that there was a build actually to be fair eddie kingston and jericho actually quite had about seven weeks worth of story it's just uh it didn't get officially made until about two and a half weeks prior to the pay-per-view but that all being said there was still a lot to go by on this a b I think this definitely allows Eddie Kingston to be taken even more seriously as he continues his trajectory up towards the main event spots in AEW. Over the last year and a half, I have become a big fan of Eddie Kingston, Ross and Tom. Um, you know, you talked about his promo style not being for everybody. I happen to enjoy it, but I can understand why some people aren't turned on by it. You know, it's very, there's a very gangster feel to it, not to go ahead and you know, because he's he's from New York City. It's 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 Paul Heyman turned up to about 15. You know, he grew up on the streets in New York. I think he's from either Queens or Brooklyn. I can't remember or, or one of those. And so he's got that real street credibility factor to him in a, in a very interesting, cool way that I happen to enjoy. He's also very outspoken. He's outspoken in real life and he's outspoken on in the ring as well as in promos. He takes his personality and literally turns it up to 20. And that's something I can appreciate. But then at the same time, he will disrespect you, you know, regardless of whether or not you felt you should have been disrespected to begin with. I can appreciate that, but sometimes it can be taken offensively. And so I can understand why people might be turned off by Eddie Kingston's style. That being said, if he was ever going to be in the ring with somebody that was more mainstream, Chris Jericho was the perfect person for him to be in the ring with. 
him and CM Punk had a really interesting, and at least to me, good match at full gear. And this was a very similar story told, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing where they're doing a rinse and repeat kind of a deal. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily mad at it because of where Chris Jericho is on the card and where they're trying to get Eddie Kingston to, as well as what they're trying to do with the inner circle as a whole, as Santana and Ortiz have left the inner circle and they have paired themselves up with Eddie Kingston. Um, I think overall, yeah, besides that spot that you just talked about so eloquently, Ross, I would say that this was a... I wouldn't have expected this match to open up the pay-per-view, but I'm glad that it did. The only other match that I could have imagined opening it up would have probably been the triple threat for the tag team titles. But I'm glad that it didn't because I thought that sometimes emotion is better than spot fests. You know, some because I feel that it really pulls at the heartstrings and really gets you going in a different way. And then later on, when the action really needs to speed up, you will have that and by God, did we have that by spades, especially in the six-man tornado tag as well as the triple threat tag, um, which we'll obviously get to eventually. But overall, yeah, I thought it was strong. And I'm really interested where this story is going from here because Jericho has full-on turned heel on Dynamite. He started now the Jericho Appreciation Society, which is him and Hager and 2.0 and Danny Garcia, Daniel Garcia. And... Uh, it looks like they're going to be feuding with Eddie Kingston and I would assume Santana and Ortiz. And I have a feeling where they could go with on this for double or nothing, but I don't want to get too ahead because I want to make sure that I let Tom go ahead and give his thoughts on this, but a really good, strong way to open up uh, this pay-per-view. Yeah, I enjoyed this. I like Eddie Kingston. I'm not the biggest fan of his in-ring work because uh, he really needs the right person to be wrestling to make it interesting. I did like some of the tag stuff he did with Moxley, but these guys put on a good match, a good opening match. They they had a nice build. I have to apologize to Jericho because I buried him for dead on this exact podcast a few months back. And honestly, if he hadn't gotten in shape, I think he should have retired. But he decided to obviously take it a little more seriously and get back in shape. And that has worked wonders for him, although he did. He looks tremendous. Take a suplex off the head here. Uh, we were at the point where I thought he was going to kill himself doing his own moves. So, you know, this was like probably more Kingston's fault than his fault uh, on that bump. And then Eddie Kingston took a bump off his head as well. So, <laughs> you know, but it was strong. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And then of course, last night, Wednesday, uh, it all came full circle. They'll be feuding. That's, that's what I appreciate most about AEW is that there's not that much one and done stuff. They, they do carry things forward. They find ways to keep making it interesting. So well, look, I've said this before. This is the this is the danger and the benefit of doing not pay-per-views every month, which is you have time to do longer stuff, but then it gets to the point of, okay, well, are you always doing long stuff? Can you do shorter intermittent stuff? It was the whole problem during the pandemic where they had opposite problems of, you know, one had to book long-term all the time, whereas the other one had to book you know, sometimes week to week because of just how they're scheduling and how it broke down. So I can at least appreciate the fact that they're at least giving us a payoff and they're at least continuing some of these longer storylines, which you're right. This did have solid buildup and it's continuing, but I also don't want it to linger for the next four months. That's my opinion. Maybe it'll be incredible, 
but I just some of these things do linger. So I hope that there's an end game in sight. Um, but I love this match. I love this match. Um, are we talking the? Okay, here's here's what I want to do. Do we want to jump or do we want to parlay the MJF and Wardlow stuff or did we want to talk the uh, tag team title match real quick? I mean, the, the basically, I think we'd all agree that the tag team title match was just a heck of a lot of fun, but I expected nothing less from those three teams and uh, and it sets up interesting things between Red Dragon and the Bucks because okay. there's a few pin breakups here and there and I think I know, you know, the general direction we're heading with that super group of people, the super elite. Although okay. Bobby Fish is not technically allowed to be part of the super elite. Right, right. So so question, uh, was was anybody surprised that Jurassic Express retained the titles? I was. I, I think collectively we can all say yes, we were very surprised. I, I was not because I think oh, really? it's difficult to give it to one of the other two teams if you want them to be feuding. And then you're constantly swapping titles or something else. Like mm. they don't need the titles for that feud to have juice. That's fair. So, you know, whoever comes out of it, you know, maybe gets a rematch with Jurassic Express. But honestly, I think they're waiting for uh, Ray Phoenix to, to heal up. So they get their rematch. Yes. So they'll sure. go oh. let them do their own thing. You sure. Know? And not to mention, obviously, we're all waiting for Omega to heal up so he can go ahead and come and do this as well. Obviously. Oh, yeah. No. Uh I speak for everybody on this podcast without hesitation. Um, we've been missing the Lucha Brothers. I, I mean, I, I like when we all saw that Ray Phoenix injury, I was like, oh, dear God. Yeah, we just we just because look, Ray Phoenix and Penta can both separately be world champions. That's how good they are. And then as a team, they're special. They're special. So yeah. when so when Ray Phoenix went down, I was like, well, they better have something for Penta to do something. So, yeah, once uh, once Ray Phoenix comes back. Yes. Thank thank God. We need more Lucha Brothers matches. That's for yeah, sure. I agree. But you know what? To be fair and to and Tom, I, I, I found it interesting, but I could appreciate where you're coming from on that. And I didn't really think about it, at least for myself. I'm not going to include Ross in this because maybe Ross had his own thoughts, but I thought that it needed the titles. But just because to me, they're two of the top tag teams in the division. But when you really look at it, the whole group as a as you know, as a unit and the whole storyline where it can go. It's even bigger than what the elite versus the inner circle was back in 2019, early 2020. Like this is, this is like shaking of not just AEW at its core, but professional wrestling. You've got Kenny Omega, you've got the young bucks who are the tag team of the decade. And then whoever else they bring, then you got undisputed era or, you know, whatever they're going to be called undisputed originals or whatever group name they're actually going to go by. But Adam Cole and red dragon who basically took the world by storm in NXT for four years. They were, they were NXT. You know what I mean? Like for all you can say about Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, I'm sorry, but at one point Adam Cole and the entire undisputed era took that brand by storm and they took the reins and they didn't look back. I mean, they were war games for the entirety of war games. Right. And so this whole thing is huge. And I guess now that you mention it, 
yeah, it doesn't need the title. So it, it surprised me, but that's be, it, only because that wasn't my mentality going in. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it makes me rethink everything and it allows the tag team titles to not get themselves lost in irrelevancy because the feud is even so much bigger than those AEW world tag team titles. So fair play on that. All right. Um, we're going to, we're going to pair these two things because uh, actually we're going to pair these three things actually. So um, the face of the revolution ladder match for a, uh, or a TNT title match, future TNT title match. There were a lot of big boys in that match, like a lot of beef. We're talking Wardlow, Keith Lee, Hobbs, and then, you know, Starks, Orange Cassidy, and, you know, Christian. Yeah, why not? But there was a lot of beef in that match. There were, uh, well, those things are always, well, they're just car crashes, and they're just they're just things that are just, you can't take your eyes off of it, whether it's good, bad, average, indifferent. Um, I'm not surprised that Wardlow's getting the push, given everything that they've done uh, with him that they did not apparently want to do with somebody like Jake Hager, which Jorge and I had this conversation off air, which is how little have they done with Jake Hager? And the answer is very little. Um now I realize that Wardlow is not Jake Hager and vice versa. What I am saying is when you pair a guy with the best heel you have in that company, I'm going to say you have plans for him. Um, I'm not saying this is a direct comparison, but yeah, you want to know why Dave Batista was pushed to the moon after he was under Triple H's wing? Same concept. Again, not saying Wardlow is Dave Batista. Please let me get that straight right now. I'm just saying the concept of, oh, this guy's hanging out with a main eventer who's a dastardly heel that's on television all the time and is considered a pillar of your brand or your company. Yeah, we're probably going to do something with him. Probably. Um, so Wardlow wins the ladder match. He gets a future TNT title match. And then... The dog collar match. It was a spectacle. It was the longest thing on the show. And I understand that they teased exactly what it was going to be on this show, which was blood, guts, and just an overall disgusting mess of a what appeared to be like a murder scene. Um, I never thought this should have been a dog collar match. Um, that gimmick, which whatever, like to me, I don't need it. I'll just put this out there now. Um, you don't need to have more than one match. That's like this on a pay-per-view. And we had two of them. Um, Look, I'm not saying Brian and I'm uh, Brian uh, Danielson and, and uh, Moxley was this match, but it's of the same ilk. And that's look, if you're going to have a car crash. Right. Of that magnitude, have one of them. Don't have two of them. Um, 
Also, and I've said this before, and I was very, I was very critical of it when Moxley was doing a lot of it. Um, I didn't know AEW was channeling CZW. I didn't particularly sign up for it, but I will leave my comments to the end. I'm going to start with Tom because I have a feeling. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I'm going to let him say it. Tom, the thunderous wizard, hops and box office flops, joining us for AEW Revolution. CM Punk and MJF, the dog collar match. Your thoughts, sir? Well, I mean, I love this match. I, I loved it when they did it with Cody uh, as well. Uh, you know, it's, I, I get the, the the bleeding thing gets a little much with AEW, especially when Wednesday night before the pay-per-view, CM Punk is incredibly bloody. It's a little unnecessary at a certain point. Uh, but it was a good match. And I think, as I would have preferred a clean finish, but I guess the finish sets up so much going forward that I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm, and I'm sure they're going to have a trilogy fight because it's technically one-to-one with both of them using a foreign object to win a match. So I would assume that this isn't technically over between them, but we shall see. But MJF brought out the best in punk. It kind of put an end to the, I'm just happy to be back shit. That was good stuff. That was getting a little old, you know, like, Hey, here I am in every town. I'm just happy to be here. Like it, it pushed him to like give great promos and really capture some of that CM Punk magic. So I was all for it, but I, I, I don't blame you for getting a little over with the blood. Like I think they get a little heavy handed with, with getting people bloody in AEW. No, I, I I fully know what you're saying. Here's the thing that I'm I'm gonna just say this right now. Um, emotionally heavy was this match. It was easily the most heavily emotionally heavy match on the entire card, as it should have been. I actually made the case that to me, this match should have main evented Revolution as opposed to Adam versus Adam, which we're gonna get to a little in a little bit. Um, I didn't want the dog collar stipulation. Not necessarily because I don't care for the dog collar stipulation. I think it's fine. I would have preferred a regular just no holds barred match or something of that elk. And also, you mentioned and you mentioned it, Tom, uh, Cody and Brody, you know, they they and I've said it before on the pod. Ross knows this. I've already said it multiple weeks on the lead up to revolution. The dog collar match to me, I think not necessarily needs to be retired, but it needs to be looked at as a a special thing because of what it meant for Brody Lee and for Cody in particular for Brody. And then after he passed away, that was the, what was the first thing that people remembered about that him defending his TNT championship against Cody Rhodes in that excellent, you know, dog collar match. And it's, um, it's very similar to how we got a new Batman so quickly after Ben Affleck. You know, we got Robert Pattinson. It's like, I need things to breathe. So the dog collar match in a very similar way to how Ross and I talk about elimination chamber needs to not necessarily, and at least it was warranted in that, in that scenario between punk and MJF. But I still think because of the meaning of what it has with Cody and with Brody Lee, it just needs to be left alone for a while because of the specialness to it. That all being said, the storytelling was incredible. And yes, Ross, I agree. Mox and Danielson should not have been bloody because of the bloodiness that was associated with Punk and MJF. There was a reason why this match was given 
the lengths that it was given. Mox and Danielson didn't earn that to me, you know? And Mox has this tendency to overdo, and this is a critique for Mox, and, and I apologize because I do love Mox, and I actually love what's going to now eventually happen with him and Danielson and now Regal, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But, you know, creative control is a very special thing in AEW, but the thing is that just because you have creative control doesn't mean that you can just bust yourself open whenever you want to. MJF and Punk warranted it, Danielson and Mox did not, and it took away almost from the specialness that was um, MJF and Punk, because we've seen this match or this story be told for five and a half months. This is the peak. This is the blow off for it. So I don't think it was fair to them. But that all being said, the storytelling within Punk and MJF was absolutely just the tits. And then with what Wardlow did was just it was just the icing on the cake. I didn't expect it to happen, but Ross brought this up to me on Monday night when we were talking off air. It actually, I'm kind of glad it did because I, especially with the way that dynamite went down, golly, would have gotten lost in the shuffle. And by the way, I didn't even mention this punk and MJF weren't on dynamite. If I'm not mistaken, is that right? They weren't. So that, that that's actually a cool, good thing because I wouldn't have wanted them to show up because they were beat to hell. So it, it kind of adds to that wrinkle of like they beat the snot out of one another. And it was kind of nice to go ahead and get that break. And we'll see them like come out bruised, battered, bandaged either on Rampage or the following Dynamite. And that'll be cool to see. But, you know, a lot of people said that this was the match of the year. I think it's up there, but I think we still got a long way to go. If that if that makes any sense, let me let me just piggyback off of why I mentioned that the Wardlow thing needed to happen on the show. Okay, you are already pushing Wardlow. You already had him win the ladder match. Okay, the MJF CM Punk thing was without a doubt the most unique thing on that show. I don't even think that's debatable. And we'll talk about the cool thing that ha- actually the cool thing. The many cool things that happened in the Danielson Moxley match, which also made it very unique. But I'm saying as a whole, when you remember one thing on this show, you are going to remember the bloody mess that was the dog collar match. Oh, and by the way, you're also going to remember that Wardlow screwed over MJF and helped Punk win the match. That's going to be part of it because that entire sequence is not only the CM Punk MJF storyline, but it includes the MJF Wardlow storyline. And yes, had it have happened on Dynamite, it would have absolutely gotten lost in the mix of everything else crazy that happened on the show, which by the way, we had a title change, which we'll talk about. And then the whole Jericho thing, it just, it needed to happen on that show because you needed to have that complete story of that night within those characters involved to be completed so i'm fine with it i'm glad with it um i also mentioned this which is i'm fine with them doing a third match as long as that's the end of it and they both move on to something else that's my opinion or and i also made this argument which is they can pivot now and do mjf and Wardlow, give this feud a small break nothing crazy But, I mean, maybe we need a break from this feud for just a little bit. 
then we can revisit it and go, oh, man, remember that match? And I'm just making up a number here. Remember that match four months ago where they killed each other? Yeah, we never got a finish to that. How about we get a finish to that? And I think you'll want people to come back to see that. They get a break from this feud that's been going on for a while now. As we talked about earlier, they're long-term storylines. Maybe that would work. Maybe I'm crazy, and maybe they're just going to finish that, which I'm fine with. But I actually think a break might actually do everybody a favor here. Uh, I think that the panel agrees because this has been five and a half months worth of a story. And I just don't know how you, how AEW booking can possibly top the emotion and the storytelling that was told on Sunday night. But I do want to ask the two of you here, something very interesting because it's been making the rounds on Twitter regarding the dog collar match and uh, Rossi pool. I'll start with you. The use of um, punks uh, ROH theme. And how it's been making the rounds. Because here's the thing. People are like, oh, well, I didn't know what it was. Well, the thing was that how was. uh, How are the people in the arena supposed to be made aware of it? Like, it's not like Justin Roberts is going to say CM Punk is now going to use his team from ROH. This is what it is. So CM Punk coming up now. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like people are complaining about that. Just he came out to a theme. Get over it. You saw that it was Punk coming out. Just pop when he comes out. It is what it is. So I'm just curious to know what, what you thought Rostin and Tom. Um, I will, I will, I, I will simply say this: when they first had Punk switch from uh, this fire burns to cult of personality, he just showed up with it one week. So is this a one-off where he just did it because like this thing has has him channeling back to some version of himself that is that? Okay, cool. Is he reverting back to it completely because now AEW owns ROH and he likes it and wants to use it? Cool. If he uses it once and they never use it again and there's no explanation for it, I'm a little confused. But again, I've said this before. I've been a stickler about not having an explanation for stuff, not getting any resolution to it for four months and then just giving up on it. So I guess. I'm in a wait and see mode and I get it. It's music. Sometimes I make a big deal out of it. Sometimes I make too big of a deal out of it. So to answer your question, I will say, cool. They used it. If there's a purpose to it. Great. If there isn't, just tell me that's all. So Tom, do you have any thoughts on the matter? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was cool. Uh, I mean, if I'm guessing a lot of people that are super mad about it also don't think that the ROH thing is a big deal, but it is. There's there's a great tape library there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, a little context. That's what the announcers are for. You know, they, they didn't necessarily do their job in that moment, but like I kind of geeked out over him wearing his old gear and I'm not like some big Ring of, Ring of Honor yeah. fan. I just thought it was like a neat thing. It's like, oh, like he did bring out the punk that's hungry yeah. to be the best in the world. Yeah, that's what and, I took away from it. And I agree with you. And I think that they, for the most part, did a pretty good job explaining it on television. And I think that it seems that the people that were complaining about it were the people either in the arena or people who may have just had Shivani and Excalibur and Ross muted. I even remember, I think what it, I mean, not that he deserves a lot of credence because he's, his, rep, his website has really taken a crap over the last few months, but Raj Giri from, what is it, Wrestling Inc.? 
I think he posted up on Twitter, it's, and his exact words were, it seems that Sam Punk is using some type of Terminator entrance for this theme. I'm not sure where this is going. It's like, come on, Raj. Like, if you're such a good journalist, maybe you should do your homework and know what this is. Okay? And, and now that's fair. To the people in the arena that didn't know, okay, yeah, so they wanted some context. That's fine. I don't think Punk addressed it as well as he should have. Because to be fair, not everybody remembers him from his ROH days. A lot of people, including myself, started watching him when he got signed up by WWE and when he showed up in ECW, okay? And I found out about his ROH stuff later on. And so I think it's weird. But at the same time, this is the way that I look at it. And Ross and and Tom, you guys can both attest to this. Edge used the brood theme and then switched over to his um, You Think You Know Me theme as the part of the entrance for SummerSlam, which was sick, right? So Punk could have done the same thing of using his ROH theme and then remix, bam, Cult of Personality hits. And by the way, if it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I think it's cool that he decided to go ahead and do a special entrance at Revolution. If he doesn't use it again later on, that's fine. At least he has access to it. I personally think that his Cult of Personality theme is the best one. But if you want to use that as a special type of entrance in the same way that let's say triple H uses King of Kings and then switches over to the game. I think that's perfectly fine. You've got very cool themes and just mix them however you want to, and just be happy with your entrances. As long as you do a good job about it. That's well, just think about this. WWE has always been a great custodian of their history because sure. the brood is just as old as punk and ring of honor older. Uh, so now, uh, People will have access to this footage. They'll get to see the Summer of Punk, the trilogy with Samoa Joe, and all these other great matches he had in Ring of Honor, and they'll come to have a greater appreciation of it, and then they can go back to this dog collar match and say, hey, you know what? That was pretty freaking cool. Yeah. You know? I agree. So, uh, again, that is Wardlow, MJF, Punk, and that whole situation being at least resolved for the moment. Yes. Uh, By the way, can I give you a number really quickly, Ross and Tom, sure. before we move on? Sure. You, we, we, because we, we mixed in the face of the revolution ladder match along with MJF and Punk because of the Warlow situation. Eight hundred and seventy-seven. Okay, that number is Keith Lee, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Wardlow's weight combined. Just those three. Eight hundred and seventy-seven pounds. So that's Keith Lee at three forty. Wardlow at 267 and um, Powerhouse Hobbs at a tick over 270. Unreal. That's, that's a lot of mass in one a, match. That's a lot of beef. That that's, sure is. That's 14 Orange Cassidy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, well, yeah. we'll save Orange Cassidy for another day, but uh, I will tell you that's another guy I've maybe not done a complete 180 on, but mm. I at least. I think I get it now. That's all I'm going to say. Again, maybe I should have gotten it a long time ago, but at first didn't get it. Uh, but I get it now and it's okay because I think I get it now. Uh, also, um, just to kind of bookend this whole thing. So Wardlow won a chance to get the TNT title. So Scorpio Sky was wrestling Sammy Guevara this week on television and won the title. Apparently, by the way, according to sources, uh, that was uh, baked in to happen like six months ago for Scorpio Sky to be the TNT champion. Again, 
not saying I believe everything I read on the internet, just to be sure. All I'm telling you is that when you hear from multiple sources that this was planned for months, sure. Look, I think Scorpio Sky is very talented. I think Ethan Page is very talented. I've said several times on this show, Dan Lambert's one of the best promos they have. Um, I'm still a little confused why Scorpio Sky is the champion. I well, don't I th- really know what they're doing. Yeah, I have and, two and I think thoughts. It's, oh, go ahead, T-Dubs. I'll let you go ahead first. So either he's unfortunately going to get squashed and lose the title, or because this was booked months ago, MJF will inevitably screw Wardlow and set up their program because, again, that program doesn't require a belt. It's already written itself. Like There's a lot of bad blood there already. Giving a TNT title to Wardlow and having Punk or uh, MJF potentially win it means nothing. MJF is a wrestler who doesn't need a belt. And if he does win a well, win a belt, it damn sure is way bigger it's than the TNT championship. Going to be the championship, yeah. exactly. Um, here's what I'll say to that. I believe I read, you, you, and Ross, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that this is penciled in six months ago. But then at the same time, in the last five months, Scorp- no, I know, I know, I, this is not to you. I know, I know, but. What really annoys me a little bit is the fact that Scorpio Sky has literally had only like less than five matches in those last five months. So we're going to pencil you in for March to win the TNT championship, but you're not going to do a goddamn thing. It's more, it's, it's asinine. It's remember, absolute. Go ahead. Remember when wins and losses mattered? Yeah. AEW <laughs> said that they were going to matter. <laughs> they they said they were going to matter. And and it actually irritates me because Tom, how many times did you and I see, you know, the win and loss record beh- below their names when their entrance came out and stuff like that. And it's just, it's just, I don't, it's kind of half-assing in a little bit. That's all. Um, I'm, I'm happy yeah, for Scorpio yeah. Sky, but at the same time, yeah. <sighs> The title, MJF versus Wardlow doesn't need the title, but maybe Wardlow does need the title. There's a difference to that, right? Um, and so that's that's an interesting one because if he were to feud with MJF, then I, Wardlow, if he were to lose the title to MJF, yeah, I would absolutely accept that because MJF is on a, MJF is on a main event level without being in the main event scene yet. You know what I mean? We all, I think we can all attest to that and agree to that. So, but then in a similar way, and I'm not saying that the face of the revolution ladder match is as important to money in the bank per se, but if you just went through six or seven dudes in a really, really, really intense ladder match, just so you could get screwed over, why not just have somebody else win the ladder match and keep Wardlow away from the TNT championship to begin with. Now, I said last week that I thought Keith Lee should have won that match. Keith Lee did not look that great in this match. Um, I think we can all agree. Not that I'm looking for any backup, but Keith Lee definitely put on some pounds and he needs to get back into better wrestling shape. But just have somebody else do it. Maybe have Ricky Starks be the one that's the number one contender to the TNT championship. Maybe powerhouse Hobbs is the number one contender to the TNT championship. You know, maybe, maybe it's Cass. You don't know, but I don't know if with the way that the storytelling is being looked at right now, why waste that on Wardlow 
where Wardlow is being positioned into this massive program with MJF. I just think that that was kind of a, it's, they kind of biffed it on that a little bit. Does anybody else feel that way? Or am I just the only one that's looking at it like I'm crazy? I think they kind of wrote themselves into a corner because everybody wanted Wardlow to win. He's massively over. And if they randomly, I mean, obviously Christian wasn't going to win. He doesn't need it. Uh, I love Cassidy, but I had no delusions that he was going to win. Hobbs and Starks I would have been fine with, but again, I just didn't see it. Like They've been building Wardlow as the beast. He's got his powerbomb symphony. It was all set up for him to win, and if he didn't, it would have had to be because that happened before the the dog collar match, and he, he had gotten screwed by MJF in that match. Or Sean like, Spears, right? Yeah. And, you know, so yeah, do we really need to see Sean Spears come out and screw him over? Because no, because Sean Spears is like literally like a side, you know, he's a he's a joke character now. Like I they're going to set up a five second match with those two. Like, do we need to see that? No. So it's I, it's a tough thing. I, I think the crowd, you would have lost the crowd if he lost that match. He's so over. That's fair. Ross? I could make a Sean Spears chairman joke right now, but <laughs> speaks for itself that Laparca is clearly still more relevant. That being yeah. said, that being well, said, a question: Who's bigger, Laparca or Keith Lee? I'm kidding. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Obviously, Keith Lee. Come on now. It was a joke. I know, but Laparca was Lepark. Well, according to Shivani and to Mark Madden, Laparca had. It's like she got he got a bee sting in the chest. And move on. Unreal. Well, well, wasn't there a, a dwarf Laparca as well? They're both bigger than him. Yes. <laughs> Laparca Jr. Is that- <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, no, he was the uh what was he the, what was he? The giant of the luchadors? Yeah, good times. Um Danielson and Moxley. So uh this happened. It was really good. Like really good. I mentioned this before, and I will mention it again. If I sound like a broken record or I'm get off my lawn, I don't care. This match did not need blood. That's my personal opinion. If you're going to do a match like the dog collar match, this match did not need blood. That being said, I am not saying the blood took me out of the match. I'm just saying it was unnecessary. Um. So, of course, this was billed as a match about respect, which I know some people are going to groan at, oh, well, they should have more of these because that's what I want to see. And other people are like, that's a dumb stipulation for a match. Who cares? We just want to see a bad guy and a good guy. Well, that's myopic thinking, Ross. Um, Isn't that wrestling 101? Like, our, our basics not good regardless what i'm saying is for this storyline for what they were doing in this match i was totally fine with it you know moxley's had his demons brian danielson has had his own demons they had a really good match and then william regal showed up <laughs> oh and and by the way before we go too deep into this uh, Regal on the AEW website is in the active roster section. Now, uh, for those of you that have watched 
the William Rigo Antonio Cesaro match in NXT. If you haven't, watch it after this podcast immediately. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just just go enjoy anything William. Hell, even enjoy Steven Regal. I don't care. Regal is awesome, okay? Everybody knows about his work in NXT. He showed up and basically was like, hey, Moxley, um, yeah, enough of this. No. And then he outright slapped Brian Danielson in the face. I know there was a lot more to this, but I had to make sure I covered the fact that, you know, these two were wrestling in AEW and William Regal showed up and got a huge reaction. The announcers were like, holy crap, it's William Regal in the middle of this like great match yeah, this, of, of this of this great thing. So Danielson and Moxley, they went 21 minutes and five seconds. And Moxley got the win. Um, I will start with Jorge. Have you watched this match, by the way? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. No, that was that was the match okay. that Tom and I watched together. We watched the second half of Brit versus Thunder. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. That's, so, that's why I wanted to start with you first. So it's all good. Uh, a, did it live up to everything you hoped for? B, uh, was this the right finish? Mm-hmm. And C, what do you think is the idea that needs to come out of this that is going to be, to quote a WWE term, best for business? Sure. Um, you know, this match was good. It's hard for me to say it was really good because, and you and I talked about this, Ross, um, this match, I felt that the two of them held back a little bit, but it makes sense why they would do so because of what's coming next. 21 minutes, I felt it was a little too long, but I'm willing to accept that. Was it the right finish? Absolutely. I said this last week, if they were going to go, far with this feud of an actual team up between Mox and Danielson, I felt that Mox should be the one that gets the first win because that way Danielson can go ahead and accept him and respect him and be like, you know what? You're somebody I want to be in the ring with. You're somebody that I want to be a soldier next to me. That type of storytelling, I was absolutely 100% okay with. I just thought that they held back, but to be honest with you, maybe they should have held back because and. I say that they held back, even though friggin' Mox got busted wide open. So it's kind of hard, but from a movement wise, from an intensity wise, intensity session wise, I just felt that they held back a little bit. And the 21 minutes did not live up to the intensity that I was watching on screen. The right move happened in regards to Mox, even though it was, you know, questionable, but I was willing to accept it because it was a technician uh, in regards to Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, excuse me, you know, that sort of move. I think uh, they reversed. Uh, so I can't remember what submission they reversed, but I'll let Tom get into that. And then, Tom, you and I marked out. You and I oh, marked yeah, yeah. Big time. out when we saw Regal coming down the ramp. I was like, Tom, oh my God, oh my God, Tom, it's Regal, Tom, it's Regal. We literally high-fived, we were jumping, we're, I mean, I'm 32, T-Dubs is 37, we were acting like a couple of six-year-olds at a party, and Spider-Man just showed up. That's exactly how I felt when Regal got there. Ross, it was unbelievable. I mean, 
hell, I literally texted Ross because it was like 8.30 at night. I was like, Ross, are you awake? And he calls me. He's like, Ross, it's Regal. It's Regal. It was great. It was my favorite piece of the night. Favorite piece of the night, Regal showing up. And I was like, this is unbelievable. I couldn't even blow it in my I just, it, it felt, it was fantastic. It was great. It, uh, it, yeah. Yeah. Holy, holy <sighs> crap. Okay, I mark out for William Regal. I love the match. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. I love those two. Um, I, perfect ending. I'm excited for them just stepping on people. Step up or get stepped on. Let's go. Uh, Regal is the perfect embodiment of why you just don't release people for no reason right? Like Regal has a wealth of important wrestling knowledge and can offer a lot to uh, to AEW and was obviously offering a ton to NXT and they unceremoniously bounced him. But also, I mean, like, don't forget uh, Swerve showed up at this thing and that's another guy who they just got rid of for no reason. And I know you have reservations about how crowded AEW is getting, but to see William Regal come out after this incredible match between two of my favorite wrestlers that made my night a hundred percent. All right. So just to, just to make sure that I get this right. Um, are they going to be a unit, a small faction? Are they going to be a tag team? Like where's this going? They're, they're bringing back the real man's they're the real men's men. They're going to come out in the flannel like Regal did and chop down trees. I really hope you're kidding. Wear hard hats. Okay. He's a man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Please, please now. Can we uh can we instead have them come back to the uh to the creepy sinister music with him and Dave Taylor? That would be better. Let's go. If he if he starts stretching people weekly, it's gonna I'm gonna be on cloud nine. All right. Now, next question. Do you okay? The question is not do you want to see him wrestle? Does he need to wrestle? Are you okay with him wrestling? Or does he just need to be William Regal and just, you know, occasionally stretch people while wearing a suit? I think he needs to be William Regal and occasionally stretch people in a suit. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd vote for the latter. Okay. Now, if yeah. the situation called for it where you could get him in a match, you would endorse it though, right? If he's oh, yeah, comfortable yeah. enough to go, yeah. No, yeah. If Sting's doing table spots. <laughs> with no. the double table spot i think oh, regal God. can still get in there and do some submission holes okay no and again i'm saying in the right circumstance like i'm guessing we don't want you know regal wrestling full time again what i'm saying is in the right situation i don't think any of us are going to say no i never want to see regal wrestle again that's that's just dumb so uh, I, yeah. I i agree i i hope this is a thing for a while um because kind of look i know and by the way something else we have not uh, mentioned yeah let's just have 27 stables at aew and here's another one um but this one i'm okay with because you know it's now here's okay here's my last question to this okay i know they're not strictly wwe guys but guess what uh a lot of people know those three guys from being in wwe a lot of people do I realize Mox has been here for a while and I realize Danielson didn't show up that long ago and he, you know, started from his humble beginnings and Regal just got here. But is there an angle where they could kind of not publicly say WWE, but like they could be like, hey, like we're 
you know, kind of, kind of channel that type of energy towards, you know, being in a feud with some of these other teams that don't have that experience. Is that a thing or am I, or am I just, you know, putting the cart before the horse here? No, I don't think you're putting the cart before the horse. I will say this. I remember watching, you're reading an excerpt from Danielson having, um, an interview on a podcast and the conversations that he had with Tony Khan when he first signed. And apparently Tony Khan went ahead and kind of gave him this, like, I think you need to change your way of thinking a little bit because he was thinking very Vince like, I would like for it to be a little bit more sports entertainment in a way. Sure. I'd be okay with it. I just don't know if Tony Khan's going to allow that on his programming. That's that's the one thing that I would be hesitant towards, because I think, you know, Tom said this, he's got this wealth of knowledge in regards to Regal. And then you've got Mox, who's a former world champion in the biggest company in the world. And then you have Danielson, who is the best wrestler in the world currently and a guy that was at the top of that same company that I just discussed. They can bring something that would allow a lot of the guys and gals to add things to their style in a good way. And uh, the other thing that I was going to say, and I think I may have mentioned this to you, Ross, and I may have mentioned it even to Tom, this is like Mox and Kingston, but better. Big time better. And no disrespect to Eddie Kingston, but let's just be real. Eddie Kingston ain't Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson. Excuse me. He's just not. If you think otherwise, you are nuts, but I think I can see this going extremely, extremely well. Any final thoughts, Tom? Uh, no, I'm I'm with Jorge. This is gonna be this is gonna be sweet. I'm just gonna enjoy the ride we get out of this group, however long it may last. I mean, hopefully they don't waste it. Like you know, Pinnacle became almost like an afterthought. Like, were they really a stable for most of them being a stable? So, uh, yeah, it's it's an incredible pairing. Very true. Um, also, because we've mentioned all three of these men, actually, we've not mentioned one of them, but I will do this. Um, yeah, uh, Sting went airborne and went through tables. He's insane. Um, Matt Hardy decided to, you know, botch the finish. By the way, I have to say this, and I don't care how unpopular it is. I hate Darby Allen's finish. I hate it. I think Darby needs to be finished. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm not a fan of. Okay, yeah. hey Jorge, remember when I told you that I hated Kofi Kingston's spot where he just jumped backwards onto people? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying. I, I'm not saying. Yes, I know. I incessantly did it. Um, I'm not saying that's Darby Allen. What I'm saying is. Uh, Darby Allen had that move been not backwards could have adjusted to Matt Hardy, not being able to do the move correctly. Whereas okay, Darby that's... Allen's literally doing his finisher blind. True. And let me be the first to tell you right now. Don't you dare besmirch the boom drop ever again. I'll kick you off the pod and then I'll rehire you and then kick you off again. Well, second it... of all, okay, wait, hold... hold on. Okay. And then boom drops through the announce table are amazing and the coffin drop is not the boom drop and stop disrespecting it that being uh, said i'm with i'm with ross okay. coffin drop is not my favorite but it's certainly better than the boom drop okay. hey listen i saw kofi kingston drop swagger through an announce table in the middle of money in the bank that was fire 
I saw Kofi Kingston put Randy Orton through a table at MSG. That was fire. Don't come at me, boys. Okay, okay. Time out, because I think your anger is misplaced, okay? I am not talking about Kofi Kingston doing the jiggy and doing boom, boom, and that's the boom drop. What I'm talking about is him jumping off the top rope, falling backwards, and calling it a high-flying move. That move is trash. Okay, my apologies. Then I take back all my anger that I shot towards the two of you. I apologize, because, yes, that move does suck a little bit of donkey dick. Now, coffin drop is still weird. Okay, visually disgusting. That being said, the coffin drop, still better than the boom drop. Anyway, uh, (laughs) now, um, Darby, Sammy, and Sting, they won their match um, against uh, that awful Andrade Hardy family office nonsense. Um, Of course, Sammy's no longer the TNT champion. And uh, let's just get this out of the way because I know Jorge absolutely hated it, and I know why, and it's totally fine. And he was ready to go on this righteous rant about it until I told him that Major League Baseball was back and it immediately cheered him up. Jeff Hardy is now in all elite wrestling. Tom, I'm going to have you start because I want Jorge's vitriol to not be uninterrupted because I want him to vent because I know he hates this. Your thoughts on Jeff Hardy being in front of AEW, and when is the next time we're going to see the Hardys versus the Bucks? Okay, so I mean, yeah, this is the... We're we're watching the Hardys right off into the sunset here, so I'm perfectly fine with it, as long as Jeff is healthy and happy. I have no qualms with him walking out of WWE if he's miserable with the booking, because otherwise they're just going to keep you in a cage like they are with Ali and not let you leave. So uh, give him the two middle fingers and take off. I'm cool with that, and then you know, you, they can drag his name through the mud and talk about he didn't want to go to rehab and this, that, and the other, but that's just a whole PR that they love to do. So as long as he's healthy and, and happy and he's in a good frame of mind, let him ride off into the sunset. I think it'll be fun. I'm not the biggest Hardy Boy fans, but I recognize their importance in wrestling history and, and their place is one of the truly daring and uh, – awe-inspiring tag teams that gave their bodies to us as viewers. So, yeah, one last run in AEW. I'm all for it. All right, Jorge, go ahead and launch, sir. I want to start off by saying I've loved Jeff Hardy for a long time. I have. This in no way, shape, or form is an indictment on his performances over the last 20 plus years. I mean, he's one of the greatest performers that we've ever seen. Tom, I understand you saying him giving the WWE the middle, the two middle fingers and saying, I'm out. I hate being caged, blah, blah, blah. Here's my problem with that though. To me, I didn't feel like the dude was caged. I really didn't. I feel like they were booking him in high profile spots that I was just like, what the hell is he even doing there to begin with? You know what I mean? Like they gave him everything he could have ever wanted. He was selling merch. Hell, the dude was about to get a program with Roman Reigns before he decided to go and act drunk. And that's the, that's the thing that really actually pisses me off is the fact that he decided, Oh, I'm going to use my real problems and make it seem like I have a real problem again. Do you know how serious that stuff is? Like he should know. 
And that's, and that's just, to me, idiotic, you know, using that as a way to get fired when real people still have those real issues. A, B, getting yourself fired. Don't be a bitch, Jeff. If you want to go ahead and leave the company, then leave the company. Ask for your release. Whether You're the one that re-signed, brother. You know what I mean? That's his call. It, you know, Ali's over here doing his best to get released and they won't do it. Jeff was like, oh, well, I'm just going to get myself fired. A lot of people got fired over 2020 and 2021 for no reason. And then you go ahead and use a reason to get yourself fired because you don't want to be there anymore. Be a man. Be a man. You shouldn't have resigned. If you wanted to go with Matt, the next time that they offered you up that much money, you tell Vince kindly, no. Thank you for everything that you've done for me since the very beginning. Thank you that for everything that you did for me and Matt when we came back in 2017. Hell, they came back in 2017. First night back, they show up as guest wrestlers in that ladder match, and they won the ladder match. So I, I can't view that as Jeff Hardy was treated like trash when in reality he wasn't. Matt was, and I can respect that. Okay, so you're mad that Matt was treated like trash. Write out your contract. Leave when it's done. Don't resign. But no, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And then all these AEW marks not being Tom the Thunderous Wizard, because I do not put you in the same category as them. But all these people that were marking out that he showed up, like all surprised. We knew exactly where he was going the moment he walked out of whatever arena they were at that house show. Like, can we just not act like we didn't expect this to happen? That's where it just irritates me. And <sighs> Matt Hardy's storytelling in AEW has not been that great. And all of a sudden, like, they turn him face. Like, I'm not sure how many people actually cared about what was going on in the ring. All they cared about was Jeff coming down, blah, blah, blah. It's just, it just irritated me. That's all. And it, it, it actually makes me angry because I really enjoyed that six-man tornado tag. Tom knows this. I told him, yo, that match was off the hook. We talked about Sting jumping off through two tables on top of Andrade. Was it Andrade that he jumped on, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, Andrade took that bump like a boss. But can we not forget that Sammy Guevara did a Spanish fly off the stage through two tables onto Isaiah Cassidy? Like a, just a madman? It was it, That was just unreal. Anyways, back to what I was saying. I love Jeff and I do want him to be healthy, but I just, I have a real problem with using your unhealthy issues. Those same issues that I've called him out on and I've called out Jay Uso and Jimmy Uso and all these people that have had those same issues and use that to get yourself fired. That just doesn't sit well with me. I mean, he really just walked out and then they claimed they accused him of being uh, using again. So well, because he looked erratic. What else were they supposed to do? I mean, if I had to suffer through some of their storytelling, I'd look fairly erratic as well. <laughs> I that, that's I, fair. I, that's fair. But but not to interrupt you, D-Dubs, but his his booking at Survivor Series in particular. I, yeah, I mean, I just don't know. Maybe he was maybe he was sick of being put in the spotlight because he wanted younger guys to get put over. I don't know. I can't speak to it. But I had you know, if you are not in a good place. And you feel like you got to get out, you know, I mean, you know, Cody just left and I thought Cody had it made, but I don't know all the behind the scenes, you know, sure. why he decided to go. 
and to me personally, like in my opinion, I think he's going back to a situation that he felt was unhealthy. That doesn't make sense to me, but I just don't know what he was going through. So that's also fair. I just, the unhealthiness, which while I totally respect it, I, I really do because I don't want anybody to ever be in a toxic environment because toxic environments are what cause mental health issues. And you just don't enjoy what it is that brought you to the dance to begin with. The problem with that is I know for a fact that from 2018 on, I know how Jeff has been booked and I'm sure that he's had these issues for a while now. So why did he ever resign? That's my issue. And then Ross has said this on countless occasions. If you don't want to be there, then as soon as your contract is up and you, even though they might give you all the money in the world, if that's the place you don't want to be, don't resign, just leave. And you and I have talked about this, Tom, the unfair way that Vince and company have released wrestlers just by the dozens every three or four months. And that has not sat well with me. I know it hasn't sat well with you. It probably hasn't sat that well with Ross either, even though I know he brings up good points. But to use that and then get yourself fired while that was all happening, that's just not, that's not good business. That's just not good business. Just sit out your contract. Just sit out your contract and move on. And yes, I understand. Vince can go ahead and add all these months to your contract and blah, blah, blah. Again, you shouldn't have re-signed. If it was a real toxic environment, which I know it is. I'm not saying it's not. I know it is. But be smarter. You've been in this business. You, as in Jeff, has been in this business for over 20 years. And you've worked for about 15 of them for Vincent Kennedy McMahon. You know how that dude thinks. It's on you to make those personal choices. That's all. I feel like uh, I feel like we need to have a Jorge rendition of, instead of uh, be a man Hogan, it's be a man Hardy. <laughs> And here, I'll end it on a positive note. Okay, the Hardy Boys are back together, and T-Dubs brought up a wonderful point that they're going to ride off into the sunset. Like, that makes me happy because as a tag team, I thoroughly enjoy them. The one anecdote that I will add is, and I told Ross this, and I'll say it on the podcast right now, I will flip out, and not in a good way, if I see Jeff and Matt win the tag team titles before Santana and Ortiz. That's where, it's, that's where I'm going to be rubbed a really, really bad way. Because if you want to ride off into the sunset, that's fine. But do it by doing the right thing, putting over the right people. Don't go ahead and put yourself in a position where you're jumping the line just because you're Jeff and Matt. Does that make sense? That's that's all I'm saying. But I am looking forward to a a variety of different dream matches that will happen in this tag team division. And I know people were probably marking out last night when they went ahead and saw Darby and Jeff standing across, across the ring from one another. I'm sure that people were having like their moments of like, Oh my God, that's going to be ridiculous. And to be fair, it probably will be, but I just, I need people to go ahead and realize that there are tag teams in this division that have been waiting for a very long time that I don't, I hope that Tony Khan doesn't jump the shark and say, oh, well, it's Jeff and Matt. Of course I'm going to put them on the title because that's not going to sit well with me. And I know it's not going to sit well with a lot of people. All right. It is main event time. The champ, Adam Hangman Page. Or is it Hangman Adam Page? I don't care. He's the champ. And he was facing Adam Cole 
Bay Bay, the AEW World Title. The match went 25 minutes and 45 seconds. It was the second longest match on the card after the bloodbath that was the dog collar match, which again, I'm fine with those two being two of the longer matches on the show. It's fine. I have said this once. I have said this many times, and I will continue to say this because it is the truth. The experiment of Adam Hangman Page as the world champion has not worked. That is my opinion. That is the opinion of a lot of people. I'm sure there are some people that really like Adam Hangman Page and like the fact that he's the world champion. I don't think it's hyperbole. Now, Will Ross, the company hasn't been around that long, and this doesn't really count in the statistics. Well, guess what? It fits my narrative. He is the worst AEW world champion in this company's history. It's not even close. He's the worst. And it hasn't worked. And I know Jorge is a big Adam Cole fan. And that's fine. This should not be a program for your world title. It just shouldn't be. There are lots of other people on this show that should be rough. Okay. If you were to tell me a blank slate on this card, okay, I know nothing about this show. You know what I would think would be the match for the world title? Moxley and Danielson. There's a reason for that because I believe those two are of that caliber in this company. Now, this is going to upset Jorge, and I don't care. I don't think Adam Cole should be wrestling for the world title. <clears throat> okay. Not not yet. I don't. You know who should be wrestling for the world title right now? I don't know. Some guy with three letters. That guy. That guy should be wrestling for the world title. Uh, Moxley, who's already been a champion. Uh, Danielson. Um. Hey, here's an idea. Well, since uh, since Cody's not with the company anymore, I would have told you that they could have done a storyline involving him and MJF because that's why Cody wasn't wrestling for the world title because he lost that feud. But I was not a huge fan of this match. Now, I'll say this, because the first ever AEW world title match was Chris Jericho defeating Adam Hangman Page. Okay. So you've already prefaced to me as an audience member of somebody who's watched AEW since day one that you think Adam Hangman Page is of that caliber. Here's the problem. Okay. And this is a very real question I want to present to both of you. Has Adam Hangman Page, besides the fact that he's their current world champion, okay, do you really see him differently now than that first world title match? Because I can make the argument, I don't. I can make that argument. I think there was a point in time 
and maybe that's cooled a bit where he was the most over wrestler in the company. This is leading into his match with Kenny Omega, his long gestating match with Kenny Omega. I believe he took a mental health break and that kind of hurt his momentum. That and his wife had the baby, of course. Yeah. So maybe that was it. Maybe that was the break was uh, for that sort of stuff. But I think both matches with Danielson were incredible. I thought him and the Murder Hawk monster put on an incredible Texas death match. Would I have liked him to be a little more active after, like directly after he won the title? Definitely. I think that again hurt because Brian Danielson was wrestling every week in the lead up to that. And he was not wrestling at all, but I totally disagree that he's not championship caliber. I think his work on the mic can improve, but he was way over. And that's why I think they made the call. Plus Kenny's all beat up. And I just, you know, like, I don't think Danielson needs a belt. I I don't think Moxley needs the belt. They're going to do what they're doing. And I think I'm going to really enjoy it. And the Cole thing, I think it was a little early, but at the same time, I know Jorge was the world's biggest undisputed era fan. They ruled NXT with an iron fist. He is the best NXT champion ever by a wide margin, mainly because he made the smart decision to never go up because I can only imagine what he would have became if he went up, uh, you know, cause who knows Vince would have said, Oh, you, you look weird in tights or you're too short or you look like a mushroom or who knows with Vince, you know, like, but he wasn't going to make it up there. He screwed up every NXT champion for the most part that went up there. I would have had no confidence if I was Adam Cole, especially when they were ruling the roost down in NXT and putting on five-star matches at every takeover. So uh, I think they could have built the history between them a lot better in the lead up because there's a lot of history there. And it just felt a little rushed to me, but I thought the match was great. Uh, I was totally in favor of either one of them winning, but I'm glad Hangman did because I think Hangman still got, got a little room to grow and come into his own as champion. And I think he will. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you could, if, if he wasn't as over as he had been, I do think there's a little bit of work that needs to be done with him as a character, particularly on the mic to, to make him a world champion. His wrestling is incredible and people love him. So it's, it's tough, but I loved it. I, I love, I loved the pay-per-view. There were some weak moments for sure, but I thought all the big matches, especially the ones we've talked about hit and they had to hit. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. I thought that all the big matches did for the most part hit pretty well as well. Obviously we talked about Kingston and Jericho and then the dog collar match. Um, obviously the main event, I thought the main event was, was, was good. I thought it could have been a little bit better, but I've got a few things on my mind. Um, the first thing was, you know, when it comes to hangman page, I, I I've been, I, I've critiqued him a while since, since he beat Omega because for him to beat Omega, I really expected something like drastic, you know what I mean? And so when they started off with Danielson, I was like, that's one hell of a bang to start off with. And they had those absolute two bangers, you know, one hour draw, even though I didn't agree that that should have been a draw, it was still a banger. And then their rematch was really, really good. And I'm not here to go ahead and say, oh, the match with, with uh, Lance Archer wasn't good. The Lance Archer match was great. The thing is that, you know, with a champion such as Hangman Page, who is still coming into his own. I still think uh, to me, he needs someone on the other end that can, um, 
his whose character worked is very honed in that's actually powerful with the crowd and not lance archer per se but let's say if the second person he would have had a match with or had a feud with and a story with would have been chris jericho that would have been a little bit more important and i think it would have allowed hangman to grow a little bit i would have said he needs to beat chris jericho and i hope he would have but I think that the people that they've put in front of Hangman has not hang, has not done Hangman any service until now. You you guys both said it. I am a big Adam Cole mark. Ross, let me tell you something right now. And and, and I, I don't think you're going to like this, but these are my personal thoughts. It, it is what it is. And you and I, what makes this podcast great is the fact that you and I disagree. MJF is great. He's terrific. He's not better than Adam Cole. He's not better than Adam Cole. I, I I know that's fine, and you're allowed to flip to give me the finger. That's fine. He's not better than Adam Cole. That's just my own personal opinion. Okay. And by the way, I would love to see the feud of Adam Cole and MJF at some point in 2022 or in early 2023 because I think it'll steal the show and I think it'll be a feud of the year contender. But if you're gonna go ahead and come at me and talk smack about my boy and say that Adam Cole is not world championship material in this particular program with Hangman Page, which is perfectly fine. It's your opinion. It's a wrong one. And I'm going to go ahead and just tell you that it is. You're allowed that opinion, but I'm also going to tell you, no, Adam Cole actually should have probably won on Sunday. Am I fine with Hangman retaining? Sure, I am. As long as they have something good coming in the works. Just... I don't know what it is about Adam Cole that you see him and you have the audacity to say he shouldn't be in the position that he's in right now, because I think his character work is sublime. His, his, his wrestling is some of the best in the world. I, I'm just trying to, I don't know. What is it? I, I, I am curious to know because he did run NXT with an iron fist and we love, love that. So now that he's in AEW, I'm curious to see what has made you change your mind. I'm, I'm just confused with a company that, you know, wants to not be WWE and yet, oh, wait, let's push WWE guys. That's okay. That's fair. But hmm. when your best guy or one of your best guys is one of your best guys, aren't you responsible to go ahead and put the best product on your television set? So therefore, if you have someone like Adam Cole, use him right okay. and maybe put him in your championship programs. Tell I'm you not what. saying MJF doesn't deserve it, but tell you what. How about when you debut with the company, you don't just join a group like a patsy bitch. How about them apples? Huh? Okay, that's fair. Then don't go ahead and get destroyed by CM Punk on Thanksgiving Eve. It's the same thing. Just it's the same thing. Listen, you have your arguments to think. This has now become a discussion of you think MJF is better than Cole and you're wrong. No, and it's I okay. Think that you're allowed yeah. to be wrong. You often are. <laughs> of course I am. But, you know, I just I just feel that you're besmirching the work that Adam Cole did, and now it's being shown off to the world on TBS, and you don't think it's good enough when for four years you thought that it was good enough. Go ahead, Tom. Okay, so I'm going to – I am an independent third party. I'm going to mitigate your grievance here. Adam Cole – was a great opponent for this space and time because when MJF gets his next title shot, he is winning the title. So sure. Adam Cole just further legitimizes hangman Adam page in this 
moment in time. Okay. He's going to be the champion for a little while, but I'm telling you, MJF is going to get the belt before Adam Cole does in AEW. Now, that's not to say I think he's better, but MJF is the top heel going right now outside of Roman Reigns. Yeah, no, I'll give you that. He's but... getting the title. You know what? Uh, you know what Adam Cole can do? He can be uh, he can be a valet for his girlfriend. Wow. Okay. That's perfectly fine. And MJF can go back to Long Island and make scarves. I don't care. I, put... I'm, I'm sure he'd make great money. You know what? And MJF is MJF is great. I I don't want it to go ahead and come across that I don't like MJF. I love MJF, but Adam Cole. There's a reason why Tony Khan brought him in because he scared him for two years on Wednesday nights. That's why. Did MJF scare Tony Khan? No, he just brought him in. He's like, I'm going to make you one of my pillars. And guess what? And guess who outdid MJF as one of those four pillars? Adam Cole's girlfriend. Thank you very much. Well, uh, to, to Ross's point, she did need another valet. So she's Pittsburgh's greatest living athlete. (laughs) Tom Tom ruffled some feathers on Sunday night when he said that to people. (laughs) Oh, Lordy. That's. Oh, oh. my God. But, you know, I I think, I guess the question is, guys, uh, is it fair to say that we all, for the most part, enjoyed revolution? I mean, top to bottom. Yeah. I I don't think. I don't think it's what the Twitterverse was calling the best AEW pay-per-view of all time. I no, think I that's, agree. I think that's irresponsible. I agree, but I think it was a very strong <laughs> yeah. show, a strong yeah. pay-per-view for uh, to open up AEW's pay-per-view season. I mean, I can that. think of main events I liked much better. I like the triple threat with Pac, uh, Omega, and Orange Cassidy a lot better than this main event. Oh, yeah. I'll give that you that one. It was 100%. a really good triple threat. I mean, it was a very good triple threat. The pay-per-view where Sting was in the you know, a warehouse fight with uh, Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. Tremendous. My goodness, was that incredible. I, I think we can all agree that even though Cole and Hangman was good, I don't think it was the best match of the pay-per-view. And I think that all, th- yeah. actually, I'm yeah. curious to know what everybody, what everybody thought was the, their, their favorite match of the night. Not the best, but their favorite, because I have, I have what I think is the best and I have my favorite. Uh, my favorite is the American Dragon and John, the wild thing, Moxley. Okay, fair. Ross? Yeah, I'm going to surprise some people. because Actually, you know what? This shouldn't be a surprise, but maybe it is. Okay. We said favorite, not best. Favorite. My favorite was Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho. Great pick. The way that it set up the pay-per-view and the fact that it accomplished it exactly what it needed to, and then it set up everything else for the next thing on, on Dynamite. Mm-hmm. To me, it was the favorite. It was it was my favorite thing on the show. I think that's perfectly fine, and I like Tom's pick too. Mine, and I think I told, I think I've kind of already stated this, but I'll just restate it one more time. That six man tornado tag was absolutely crazy. It was nuts, and I loved every minute of it. I mean, from Andrade cracking Darby right in the back of the head, which I did not expect whatsoever, to the Spanish fly through the two tables, and then staying. Yes, baby, I'm almost done. And then Sting going ahead and jumping yeah, off the stage yeah. uh, through two tables on Andrade. That was not something I expected. And even though Dar- well, Matt Hardy botched the finish, uh, the right team went over. 
Um, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. So Revolution was strong. It was not their best pay-per-view ever, but I thought it was, I thought it was fun. It was good at pay-per-view. Uh, I could probably say I might have, I th- yeah, I enjoyed it more than the Royal Rumble. Wow. Was, was House of Black the pre-show? Because that match was also awesome. It was yes, the pre-show. Was. That was unreal. Yeah. Yeah. So, and actually, because we did not discuss them very quickly, um, and actually, because we have not brought him up at all on this show, because I know we mostly talk WWE on this show, but that's what we do. Um, I was confidently optimistic and skeptical about... Buddy Matthews coming in and immediately being a part of that group. I love it. I love it. It's actually the perfect compliment to Malachi Black and Brody King. Like those two together are a force. And then you add in like a really super proficient technical guy with those two. That's a super group. That because and 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 by the way, they're totally separate from some of the other really like um and forgive me because I always uh, um it's they're called the death triangle, but there's but there's the Spanish name for it, and I always screw it up. El triangulo de la muerte. Thank you. Uh with of course uh Phoenix Penta and Pack. Okay, that group is phenomenal, but that but that group is different in a great way from Malachi Black, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews. Sure, and not to mention now that we have Moxley and Danielson together. Absolutely. Boy, how, who I would pay my mortgage in money to see Danielson and Mox versus, you know, Malachi and and, and Buddy. That would, yeah. that would be a banger and a half. Sign me up. And yes. don't forget they they brought in Eric Redbeard. Yes, they did to fill they in. Did. So and he. For the guys he had to be working a pace with, he looked great. Um, and it, and it was kind of neat. Either. He kind of shaped up with, days, with Brody King, you know, like every they had each group had like it was almost like a mirror match in a lot of ways. You know, uh, the the artist formerly known as Eric Rowan uh, at times got kind of a bad rap in WWE, which I think was a little unfair. And of course, you know, he had the three second match with The Rock at WrestleMania. Um, he totally fit in fine with like, and by the way, not that people forget this, but like, remember when he was hanging out with, you know, the planet's champion, Daniel Bryan, he was fine. Yeah. I mean him and, you know, rest in peace, Brody, when he was Luke Harper in WWE, they had that banger of a match with Brian Daniel, with Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns, that tornado, that tag team tornado match was also great. And then how many times, I mean, all, actually the three of us covered you know, when we were doing our Brody show, our Brody tribute, we covered the Shield versus the Wyatt family, and Rowan was a massive part of those matches. So, yeah, no, there it is. Um, this show has gone longer, so we're going to have to, unfortunately, actually do a split on the very, very cool special interview that we have done for episode 200. But uh, I want to plug it because it's very important to the show. It's very important to the growth of this podcast. And, um, I want to plug it now, if that's okay, Ross, uh, and give a massive thank you to Lucha Libre Online for granting me and this podcast the opportunity. Um, so I don't know how in you know how everybody will listen to it, but if you please, 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 if you haven't by the time that this recording is out, please listen to the very, very cool interview that we have done with 
former WWE and World Heavyweight Champion Alberto El Patron, aka Alberto del Rio, um, because it's it, it just shows where this podcast has reached, which is phenomenal. And then also, you know, you get a sense of the new person that might be Alberto del Rio, and I think that's very important. Um, for where he is in the phase of his life after, you know, the, the circumstances that he went through for several years. And so I think it's a very interesting insight into all of it. So uh, please, please, please go check out that interview. It'll be live simultaneously along with this part of episode 200. And thank you to everyone that has supported the double turn podcast over 200 episodes. Uh, it means the world that means the world means the world to me. And it, I know it means the world to Ross. So thank you so much. Okay, so I'm just going to pause for one second because I need some clarity on something. So just pause for a second. Okay, so are we doing this as two separate shows or are we doing this as two parts? We're going to have to do it as two separate shows in the sense that this show and okay. then the interview is separate. Okay, so then I need to tag us out to end yep. this show and then I will also need to tag us out to end the pay to end the interview that's correct okay so please I'm gonna, so i'm gonna tag this then i'm gonna pause again then i'm gonna tag out of the interview that was done two days ago so just be patient fine okay thank you again i just needed that clarity so i didn't tease out for something that i was like oh we weren't doing it so no no, no i know i just i had to make that call because we went almost no, no, no. two hours on it's, this one it's, so yeah. it's it's it, like i said i knew this decision was going to be made at some point so now that the the decision is made I just have to, you know, do the stuff. So. Plus, I wanted you to open the show on episode 200 anyway. You've been hyping it for like I wish two I months. I, yeah, so. I know. I, I, I'm not 100% sure if I'm proud of that intro, but we'll have to go ahead and see how it plays back. That's fine. Okay. So that was our AEW Revolution 2022 review section of this show. Tom the Thunderous Wizard from Hops and Box Office Flops joining us. They rep us. We like to rep them. Uh, Tom, go ahead and give a quick plug about uh, your show. What's coming up next? I know you already did it, but we're going to have you do it again. Yeah, Hops and Box Office Flops. You can find us in all major pod catchers, you know, Spotify. Google, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, just check us out. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and Beal Flops. You want to talk wrestling or bad movies with me? I'm at Writer TLK on Twitter. Uh, we got the happening dropping Friday, March 11th. Following that up with Resident Evil: Welcome to Raccoon City. Then we'll have a couple more pandemic flops. Now we're coming off of B-list action star flops. A lot of fun there. Stone Cold, Firestorm. A couple great episodes, dude. Double team. Seriously good episodes. Uh, I really loved that month. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Showdown Little Tokyo was our last episode, which if you haven't seen, oh boy, what a death scene to finish that movie. So, yeah. Uh, thank you guys very, very much for having me on episode 200. It was a blast. I love talking wrestling. And sadly, I just... Haven't been able to watch a lot of WWE, and I'm really watching mostly AEW. So, was happy to be here for Revolution. Nah, dude, it's our pleasure. You know it. You're you. You've always been. You you are uh, our unofficial official third guest host or third host on this show. So we appreciate you. Uh, I think pretty sure Tom has been on TDT the most. Yes, for good reason. 
yes. for obviously very good reason. He's become a great friend of the show. So we appreciate you, brother. Thank Jorge, you. Jorge, before I uh, tag our show, why don't you give the people something to uh, look forward to on the next edition of Tormenting Tarmac? Oh, yeah. Well, right now, the latest edition of Tormenting Tarmac just dropped last week. We actually did a NASCAR preview. Again, we're trying to go ahead and do not just car culture, but motorsport culture as well. So we just did like kind of what to expect out of the NASCAR season. And then uh, the Formula One season is also starting up. So we will be dropping that episode very, very soon. And uh, we're just having fun over there, just talking car culture, everything and driving culture, motorsports, all that good stuff. So you can go check it out also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, um, uh, Spotify, and then go check out the uh, Instagram page at Tormenting Tarmac. Um, It's a lot of fun trying to have a good time with it, you know, showing off my second passion besides professional wrestling. There it is. And of course, you've been listening to the Double Turn Wrestling Podcast. You can find us on all the major uh, platforms, of course, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all the rest. One and only J-Man 19, Ross the Robots 85, the Double Turn Podcast on Instagram, TDT Wrestling Pod on Twitter. Hit us up there, of course. Um, Yeah, this has been a show. Next week, well... Should be a fun episode next week because, uh, well, I know we're going to do top five best raw moments ever. We've been teasing that for about a month. We're finally going to do it. I'm booking it. I'm teasing it. So we're doing it. Uh, so top five raw moments of all time. That is going to be on the show. Plus, of course, your WrestleMania update. Lots more fun to come as we're on the road to wrestlemania and we have i think we have one more classic series that we have on tap on the road to wrestlemania which we kind of discussed last week so i don't know when exactly we'll do it but i think we ross and i um uh, are, are getting ready for it so but yeah we will figure that out as it is so again thanks to tom the thunders wizard from hops and box office flops for joining us on this very show this has been the double turn wrestling podcast for the j-man I'm Boss Ross, and we will catch you on the flip side.